0: Slava Ukraina, Geroem Slava. Glory to the Ukraine, glory to the heroes. Good afternoon, evening, everyone. My name is Gene Towsk, and as always, I'm your host for the White Collar Crime and Fraud podcast here in the States. For my foreign listeners, we're getting ready for the large, I should say the 4th of July, weekend holiday for us when America celebrates independence. For my American listeners, I hope everybody has a great 4th of July holiday. I want to use this episode to revisit a theme that I discussed about a year ago, actually more than a year ago, and that is the corruption in the Russian army. And I want to do this for two reasons. First of all, the Russian attempted invasion of the Ukraine has been in the news for quite some time. It was recently, of course, was in the news last couple days because of the what appeared to be a failed possibly failed coup attempt by Yevgeny prigozhin who is the uh director of the wagner group that's used by vladimir putin the wagner group is supposedly a uh, mercenary force that's employed by uh, the wagner group a company that's used for military operations by russia when russia itself does not want to take full credit or blame perhaps for operations That's why Putin has gotten away with calling this a special military operation. Anyway, as we all know, if it was a coup attempt, it certainly failed. Uh, Vladimir Putin is still in power. Uh, Prigozhin was exiled to Belarus, which is run by uh, Putin's ally, ally, um, uh, Lukashenko. And so right now, things are more or less back to normal as they were before this uh, coup attempt started. Whether it was a coup attempt or not, certainly there was a case of confusion at best, and outright mutiny at worst, where uh, members of the Wagner group were seen uh, uh, were actually advancing upon a road after taking over the town of Rostov and Don to advance towards Moscow when suddenly they were stopped. And that's when uh, parallel negotiations were underway, and Prigozhin accepted exile in uh, Belarus. So there we are. And right now, as I speak, uh, Russia is about 18 months into its attempted invasion of the Ukraine. And the reason I wanted to revisit this issue was not only because Russia's been in the news because of this uh, <clears throat> attempted coup, or what you want to, might want to call it, uh, with Prigozhin, uh, but also I think it's important to revisit just how corruption can totally destroy the life of a country and destroy the future of a country. I don't think we really give as much credit sometimes, or credit is perhaps the wrong word, enough realization of the fact that corruption can really undermine a society and rot it out from the core. And certainly this has happened to Russia. It, as we can view the Russian invasion now, 18 months into this, it, it's been a total disaster for Russia. Of course, the, um, the Ukrainians have not pushed back Russia from its borders. Russia still occupies some parts of it. But when this whole thing began, it was expected that the Russian army would crush the Ukrainian army very quickly, and they would be in Kiev certainly within about two weeks, and that would be the end of it. Well, of course, it hasn't happened. After making initial advances, Russia has been pushed back, and now the Ukrainian army is engaged in a counteroffensive against Russia, which, of course, is bogged down, but it, certainly it incrementally seems to be successful. Now, of course, this podcast is not about uh, military operations or a military history broadcast, but I think it's important to lay the groundwork as we talk about the corruption in the Russian army, the Russian armed forces. And just how how thorough this corruption is and how it's playing a very effective role in helping the Ukrainians. I heard one commentator say once that the Ukrainian uh, military consists of four parts. You have the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, and Russian corruption. And I think that's about accurate. So let's get started. Uh, when Putin invaded Russia, I'm sorry, scratch that. When uh, Russia invaded the uh, Ukraine, as I said, it was expected that the Russian army would overrun the Ukraine very quickly. And of course, that did not happen. And now, as we see 18 months into the invasion, there's been a lot of investigation by Ukrainian forces with captured Russian equipment, with uh, inter- interrogations of Russian soldiers, with intelligence reviews of Russian operations. It's just what is happening with the Russian invasion, and also more importantly for our podcast, just how thorough is this corruption? Just how how uh, thorough is this corruption which has infected the Russian armed forces and has completely demoralized and destabilized the ability of Russia to conduct these military operations? And once again, something that's very important to remember is that Russia is essentially, well, it's not essentially, it's invading its next-door neighbor. It would be the same as if... Uh, Russia invaded. Sorry, the United States tried to invade Canada, and it's uh, it's. There's no easy way to sugarcoat this. It's humiliating for Russia that they can't even pull off this basic military operation. And once again, as the Ukrainians have said, or as analyzed, the uh, the Russian corruptions have been a very big source of help for them, and when this happens, as we analyze this more, it's just, it becomes apparent that the corruption in Russia, which has always been there, but especially now with the army and the military forces has just reached the point where, um, certain defense analysts have said that Russia is incapable of producing even the most basic elementary military projection of power, which is a better, another way of saying that their army is incompetent and useless. One of the investigations that, uh, The ukrainians have done is analyzing um, russian vehicles that have been destroyed by ukrainian uh, artillery by ukrainian troops or what have you and one of the things they found is that on russian t-80 battle tanks which have been destroyed um, these t-80 battle tanks are supposed to be uh, covered with explosive reactive armor which is supposed to basically deflect our when a shell is fired at the tank it's supposed to deflect the explosion so that the tank is not destroyed and this explosive it sounds kind of counterintuitive, but the tank itself is, has a layer of explosives on the outside. Well, what the Ukrainians have found is that many of these tanks have actually had these explosives taken off the tanks. All that's left is, uh, although this, uh, these, the Romer itself is supposed to be a series of boxes that's supposedly filled with um, uh, layers of metal, rubber, and high explosive, they've been hollowed out and the material inside has been sold. So basically you have empty boxes, which does absolutely nothing to protect the tank from its, from a shell being fired on it. And this is a pretty big shock to the Ukrainians as they discovered that the equipment that they were facing was, had been for all intents and purposes destroyed by Russians themselves. And of course, this is a big bonus for the Ukrainian army, but it was a shock to them to find this out. Other issues, um, which are present, which have, uh, gone a long way in, um, foiling the Russian attempts is the, what's been called as the kleptocracy of the Putin government. The Russian government is, as we discussed in an earlier podcast, is thoroughly corrupt And monies that should have gone to the modernization and uh, of the Russian army has been diverted. So the Russian army has weapons which are, in some cases, decades old. The tank I just mentioned, the T-80, came out in the 80s. It was a more modern tank, and now the Russians are being forced to use tanks that have been produced in the 1960s. Because they simply have no modern tanks available to them. Now, the tanks, of course, are very dangerous weapon. No matter how you looked at them, but the fact of the matter is, since a lot of the money that was supposed to be used for the Russian armed forces has been diverted and basically stolen by Russian Russian military officers or other people in the Russian government, there are shortages everywhere. Just the shortages of modern tanks, shortages of modern artillery. Uh, there's indications that Russians don't, the Russian aircraft don't even have modern uh, devices to pinpoint where they are by satellite navigation. They have to rely on basically technology that's available in an iPhone. Now, all of this is, what becomes important about all of this, as we analyze it as a whole, is that the Russian army has now shown itself to be a very ineffective fighting force because, in a large part, because of this type of corruption. Now, in, in war, of course, in battles, the stakes are about as high as you can get. People's lives are on the line. So the Russian soldiers and even the Russian mercenaries through the Wagner group find themselves, if you will know, the, the part of the term, stabbed in the back by their people who are supposed to be helping them instead of actually having weapons and equipment that work. They find that their weapons and equipment do not work. They're obsolete, out of date. And in some cases, as the T-80 tanks we discovered, are not even there to protect them. They can't protect the soldiers inside the tanks. This, of course, leads to low morale, a lot of cynicism, and a less-than-stellar performance by soldiers who are supposed to be on the side of the armed forces. And once again, this is going back to our something we discussed at the beginning here, which is if the armed forces are supposedly receiving all this money and the money is not being used to develop the armed forces or pay for the armed forces, then what you have is a hollowed out armed force, which can be, in the case of Russia, a very um, very problematic since they can't even invade a country next to them. And in the case of the Ukraine, something which is very important to them, that they actually have a partner on the battlefield in the case of Russian corruption. And this has gone a long way in helping to explain the Ukraine's success on the battlefield. And once again, to tie help tie this together, the... Um, when you have a system like this where uh the i think we can all agree that the armed forces of a nation are one of the reasons a nation state exists if the armed forces cannot even um, work as they're supposed to that can create a situation where the nation state cannot exist so let's move on and discuss other reasons why this corruption in the russian armed forces is, is creating such problems one of the One of the important parts when discussing corruption and of course, white collar crime, but corruption in general, especially when you're dealing with countries like Russia, Russia for all intents and purposes is a dictatorship and corruption flourishes in dictatorships. And we'll talk about this at a later date as well as to why this happens. But because in the country of Russia right now, it's so completely dominated by Vladimir Putin's monopolization of power and control over the armed forces, there are no honest debates in what's going on in the Russian armed forces themselves. One of the things that's always been important in dealing with for armed forces is to have uh, intelligence that's available to them and an honest debate that can occur so that when a battle strategy is chosen, this strategy helpfully is able, able to achieve its objectives which with as little loss of life as possible. In this case, the, uh, because Vladimir Putin dominates them, all points, all areas of uh, Russian society, and there's a refusal to actually have honest debates. This of course creates issues where the the armed forces are, if not useless, certainly hamstrung. Another huge issue for Russia and armed forces and what Russian armed forces is that they simply cannot attract talented young people. Uh, Russia supposedly is trying to move towards a non-conscript army, army, more of a contract-based army like the US armed forces. But the issue there is that the Russians simply do not want to enter the armed forces. And there's a lot of reasons for this. Some of this is, of course, that reasons that are um, visible in countries like the United States. There's other options out there for young people. They simply do not want to risk their lives in the armed forces. But for Russians in general, and based on intelligence intelligence reports and even interviews with um, Russian people in general, the Russian people in general, they simply do not want to risk their lives for the army, which is considered a very poor career choice. And not only that, a person's life is on the line. And it's a, it's a non-secret in the Russian armed forces that the training is very poor to begin with anyway. Strangely enough, another issue that Russia is dealing with, and it seems strange because Russia, and before the Soviet Union, was always thought of as a mass producer of weapons. The Russian defense industry is largely owned by the state, and it actually produces too few weapons, and the weapons that it does produce can't match the sophisticated arms of the west and this is causing intense problems for russians because they simply don't have the technology to match the weapons that are given to the ukraine as you might know given the news reports over the past few months uh, the u.s and nato nato countries have given the ukraine advanced tanks advanced missile systems and uh, planes are on the way f-16 fighter aircraft uh, which will be deployed soon by the ukraine in uh, combat operations The F-16 is not even the the top-of-the-line fighter used by the United States or its NATO allies. But Russia doesn't even have anything to counter the F-16, which, as I said, is not a top-of-the-line fighter. So here you have a situation where the state controls the defense industries, creating a situation where the defense industries are bloated. uh, They're not producing the weapons they need in number, and they're not producing the quality of the weapons they need. And it's gotten to the point where Russia is actually buying weapons from the Iranians and from all countries, the North Koreans, which we might have a podcast on this later, is an even more corrupt and bloated government than the Russian government. So the corruption that Russia is dealing with is not only internal, it's a part of the society itself in terms of how the defense industries work. And all these factors are not only undermining the the Russian invasion of the Ukraine as a whole, but it's showing just how corrupt society russia is and i say this as someone who studied russia for a long time who lived there who speaks the language it's unfortunate that such a great civilization in my opinion anyway, way is experiencing this kind of horrendous basically 19th century czarism renewal of czarism which is destroying the society from within now we had talked earlier about how when putin vladimir putin dominates every aspect of russian life and of course this means the russian armed forces and so it's not um it's not an exaggeration to say that when we talk about the Russian armed forces, we're talking about Vladimir Putin. Now, Vladimir Putin is not from a military background. And even if he was, that does not give him the, he certainly can't maintain the scratch that. He certainly cannot be expected to control the Russian armed forces just based on his knowledge alone. Uh, Vladimir Putin has a background as a background of a KGB spy. So because Putin's influence is all pervasive in the Russian armed forces, this literally means that nothing can be done without a chain of command, which is very, very top-heavy and bureaucratic, and creates situations where decisions are not made and cannot be made on the spot. In the beginning months of the war, and this is still continuing, a a lot of American advisors, a lot lot of Americans watching the news were shocked to learn that so many high-level Russian generals were being killed. Well, there's a reason for this. The Russian generals have to be in the battlefield because they're the only ones that can issue these commands, and sometimes they have to issue them personally. And this is what happens in a top-heavy bureaucracy like Russia at this point, where literally a person—if ha- a person is to give a command—they have to be personally there and involved. This not only creates a situation where uh, basic independent thought, which is so critical on the battlefield, is discouraged at best, it creates a situation where these generals are targets, and this. Uh, this is creating havoc for the Russian armed forces. One of the other problems that is that Russia is dealing with, and unfortunately and this is a holdover from the Soviet Union, at least in my opinion, is that everything, because everything has to go through Vladimir Putin, the whole bureaucracy is a centralized bureaucracy where all decisions of any kind of importance have to come from Putin or somebody who Putin trusts. And as a result, decisions that need to be made immediately are in a backlog. We discussed about how the generals have to be on the battlefield, which creates problems for the very lives of the generals themselves. But fighting a war is not just about battlefield decisions. It's about strategic decisions that have to be made sometimes on a <coughs> excuse me, daily basis. And as a result, because of this top-heavy bureaucracy now, the because everything has to go through Vladimir Putin, strategic decisions that need to be made in a hurry cannot be made in a hurry. And as a result, this creates a huge uh, impasse in how decisions are made. Whereas the Ukrainian army is following the Western models and is a lot more decentralized. Decisions for command, control, and communications can be made on the ground as it happens, which gives the Ukrainians a great deal more flexibility in how they conduct their combat operations. So it's uh, this is an example of just how Backlog, well backlog is the wrong word, because the Russian army is so top heavy, just like everything else in Russian society, this creates issues where decisions cannot be made. And so if a military unit needs to move somewhere and cannot move somewhere because they don't have the authorization that not only slows down the entire military operation, it also exposes those soldiers to possible, um, uh, destruction from, from the Ukrainian forces. The, uh, so as we can see, this type of corruption, which is so integral to, unfortunately, integral to Russian society, is really creating problems to, for the Russians themselves in their military operations. Now, as you can guess from my podcast, I do not in any way support the Russian invasion of Ukraine. I think it's one of the most tragic mistakes, certainly of the early 21st century. And it's unfortunate that so many young Russians are paying for the, this decision by Putin and his staff just Putin, actually, with their own lives. And it's also unfortunate that so many Ukrainians are giving their lives to defend their country. It's a completely useless war. But the lessons here, as from somebody who runs a, who created this white-collar crime and fraud podcast, is I'd like my listeners to learn that white-collar crime and fraud and corruption is not just some academic theory or some uh, discussion that's for parlor room bantering. It has real-world effects, which can completely in the end, completely destroy a state. And unfortunately, this is where I believe Russia is heading. It's heading in a direction where it it faces destruction, or at the very least, reduction to that of a third world country. And it can create chaos for the Russians themselves. It can create a lot of problems for the average Russian citizen it already has, not to mention the world itself. So corruption and white-collar crime, it's not, as I said, something which can exist in a vacuum. It has very real effects in the real world. And when we talk about, for example, um, let's go back to talk. We were talking about how uh, the Russian defense industry is a state run industry because of the lack of oversight, which exists in or doesn't exist in Russian society. There is no oversight for how defense money is spent. This leads to the situation where I talked about earlier, where monies that are supposed to be invested in the Russian armed forces themselves are going to directly to be used as bribes. Or direct payoffs to Russians or to people in Putin's cabinet. A good example is Sergei Shoigu, who became quite the multi-millionaire billionaire from the corruption in Russia itself and how he took advantage of it. So if money, if, you can, if a state like Russia allocates money towards its armed forces and the money is not being spent towards the modernization or the upkeep of its armed forces, instead it's being, this money is being diverted through uh, corruption, well, then, of course, the army itself is going to suffer. As I said, for the Ukrainians, of course, this is good news. For those that are, for the Russians that are trying to fight this war, it's extremely bad news. And one of the, as we close out here, I think, once again, this is not a show about military history and military operations, but when we're discussing white-collar crime and corruption in the Russian army, the two are interlinked. And when we're discussing now the war in the Ukraine, I can't emphasize this enough. One of the things that has really struck Russian observers is just how poorly the Russian army has performed. And once again, I think a great deal of this is due to the corruption that is endemic within Russian society and the Russian army itself. And one of the reasons that a lot of people, observers were surprised by this poor performance of the Russian army is because when Russian tried military operations in the past, when it was trying to expand, it was very successful. In 2008, it held a military operation in Georgia, which was very successful in 2014. Russia invaded Crimea and reincorporated it, well, incorporated into Russia, excuse me. And that operation was very successful there. But it goes without saying, of course, when you're conquering a small country, in this case, if you're going to war against Georgia, which is a much smaller country in terms of land mass and population than Russia itself, well, even a corrupt army can do very well. If the goal is something very specific, in the case of Crimea, to capture the Crimea, which is a peninsula that operation can go very smoothly as well. After all, you're just capturing this one area. It is a peninsula, Uh, even the most basic military operation would show all you need to do is cut it off from the mainland and you're halfway there to conquering it. However, when there's a massive military operation that needs to be done, in this case, Russia attempting to conquer the Ukraine, that is really where corruption, the effects of corruption can really be felt. The Ukraine is a large country. It's the second largest country in Europe after Russia itself. Russia has a population of about 150 million. The Ukraine has a population of 40 million. Although Russia, Ukraine has much has a lesser population than Russia, it still has a large enough number of people where it can create and um, operate a disciplined army and armed forces. And this really took Russia and the world by surprise when they realized just how prepared it's not just a question of how prepared Ukraine was for the war. For the invasion, but also just how unprepared Russia was itself. And those who study Russian history, of course, find this is nothing new. Unfortunately, Russia has a long history of not being prepared for military operations, which has costed dearly. The best example being the German Nazi invasion of Russia, in, of the Soviet Union in 1941. In this case here, the Russian army, which was, as I said, supposed to conquer the Ukraine very quickly, has suddenly found itself in a quagmire. And here we are 18 months into This military operation, it's effectively going nowhere for Russia. Certainly 18 months into it, uh, regarding the Prigozhin incident with the Wagner incident, if this was not a coup, certainly this was an example of somebody trying to undermine Russian power. And although Prigozhin did not succeed, even if that was his own goal, it shows just how deep the underlying, um, underlying corruption is within the Russian society itself and the Russian armed forces. So, as we close out this podcast, of course, um, it's my point here once again is to emphasize, just and not to beat a dead horse, but just to emphasize once again just how important it is to monitor and actively fight against crime and white collar white collar crime and corruption. This is not just a question of trying to do the right thing. It's in, sometimes in the case of this, it can actually be the success or failure of a nation state. A country like Russia, which has not succeeded in fighting corruption, as a matter of fact, has become one of the most corrupt countries on the earth, is it found itself in a situation where it's losing its young men and women in a futile war against an adversary that really posed no threat to them. And because of this white collar crime, because of this corruption, which is so endemic and such a part of Russian society, it's created a situation where uh, we the world has unfortunately seen that... Uh, Russia itself is paying dearly for its for its mistake. There's no other way to call it. And it's unfortunately might destroy Russia as a whole. Only time will tell on that. Anyway, I'd like to thank everyone for listening to this, my podcast. I'll be joining you again in another two to three weeks with another topic. Um, once again, I although we focus on white-collar crime, it is important to note just how this is a worldwide phenomenon and not just something which exists in the United States. For my American listeners happy 4th. For my British listeners, yes, I know we're a bunch of ungrateful colonists, but hey, we had to do something. You guys are trying to tax our tea, so. But for what it's worth, I am a huge Anglophile. Again, everybody, enjoy your 4th. For my American listeners, everybody else, enjoy the next couple of weeks, and I hope to talk to you again soon. Take care.